0: Well, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. And hopefully when you came in this morning, you received a a palm branch. So if you have a palm branch, we just wave it in the air and wave it like you just don't care. Uh, Go ahead and do that. Go ahead and do that. And as we think about this time that's called Palm Sunday, as we, we consider all that it entails, all that's involved In this time and in this period in the life of Jesus, it's so fitting that we're in this teaching series called Defining Moments, Making the Time Count. And I just want to read this passage with you uh, that describes what happened as Jesus came in. Listen to what it says here, and I actually want us to read this out loud together. So on the count of three, we're going to read this together, and if you miss a part or whatever, it's totally fine. All right, we know it's going to be a little messy. That's cool. All right, I want us to read this together on three. One two, three, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And so as we think about what's being said here, we're we're hearing them shout this, this phrase, Hosanna in the highest heaven. In other words, it means, Lord, save us. They were identifying and seeing Jesus as one who had power and might, and yet he comes in great humility riding in on a donkey. And so as he came in, it says that they shouted this, but then they put palm branches down. And so I want to invite you to just do that, maybe put your palm branch on the ground, just signifying that we see Jesus for who he is, that we join this Palm Sunday in recognizing all that he has made available to us, all that's been accomplished because of what he would come to do for us. Now, as we look at this moment, I think all of us would see this as a triumphal moment, triumphant moment in the life of Jesus. It's often called the triumphal entry because of the way he came in. And people are like, yes, Hosanna in the highest. And, and they have in their minds that he's going to be this political king who's going to overthrow the kingdom of Rome and how Jewish oppression at that point in time was happening because of the people of Rome and and really the way that they were leading, but also the religious leaders and how they were misusing the Old Testament and what it is that, that God had spoken through the Old Testament prophets. And yet Jesus comes in this totally different way. He comes in this totally different way. But in this moment in the life of Jesus, this would be considered a high. We would be like, wow, this is incredible. When we have moments like this, when we're It looks like everybody's seeing us for who we are. And we're like, whoo, this is great. This is exciting. But then we know in that same week, there's this day that's coming that's called Good Friday. And in Good Friday, it speaks of what Jesus would do for us on our behalf. And it's good because of what he would accomplish for us. It wasn't necessarily good for him uh, because he would willingly sacrifice for us, each and every one of us. He would give his life away. No one took it. He gave it willingly so that you and I could have the forgiveness of sins. And through his death on the cross, that gave us access to this right standing in relationship with God. And so as we think about him being murdered on a cross, I think we would all say this is a low moment in the life of Jesus, right? So there's a high moment and a low moment in the life of Jesus all in the same week. And then there's the, the day after, which is often overlooked, but it's an important day. It's called Silent Saturday or Holy Saturday. And Silent Saturday or Holy Saturday refer to this point in time where his disciples are so disoriented. They're full of fear and anguish. They don't know what's happening. They don't know, what to make se- they don't know how to make sense of what they've seen with their, their own eyes. They saw Jesus murdered on a cross and they're like, wow, this was a hoax, I guess. You know, I, I, We gave our lives to this man and, and to what he was about. We believed he was the Messiah, and yet we saw him murdered. Even though Jesus said this was going to happen and that he was going to resurrect from the dead, they were in a moment where they were like, God, what are you doing and where are you? This is a low moment for them too. This is a low moment for them. And, and for each of us, we have moments of suffering and moments of silence where we're wondering where God is and what he is up to. And this is important because these are low moments for Jesus and his disciples. And then we know, as we look at the scriptures and we study history, there's a resurrection coming. There's another high moment, the highest of high moments, the resurrection of Jesus, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday. And as we celebrate him rising from the dead, it signifies not only that he defeated Sin and death, but that he was exactly who he said he was. And so he's in the business of doing resurrections. Amen? This is good news for us. Now, here, here's the thing though. In the silent Saturday, or in the suffering that we find ourselves in, we often ask the question, What are you doing? And where are you? And even in that question, it actually can be an exercise of faith when we run to God with said questions. And when faith, we say, hey, I believe there's a resurrection coming. I don't know when and I don't know how, but I'm confident that you are able. I am confident that you are able. And Easter tells us that. Easter tells us that. And this is so key for us as we're in this teaching series because, again, we have these highs, we have these lows in our lives. So here's a question as we start our time together today. What are the highs and lows in your faith journey? What are the highs and the lows in your own faith journey? What do they look like for you? Because if Jesus had them, if his disciples had them, guess what? You're going to have them too, and I'm going to have them. And they're not something that we should run away from. They're something that we should be able to be honest about, to understand, to let people in, to what those things are for our lives. But what are the highs and lows in your faith journey? And then the next part of this is simply, how do you see your suffering? Because what can happen is we can know at some point in time how to address the the highs, the successes, the things that are going well. But then when we enter into suffering, we're like, how does faith actually fit in to suffering? And there's a lot of people that say a lot of things about suffering, that if you are suffering, that means you lack faith. You maybe have heard that. You've never heard that from this stage, and you never will, all right? Just to be really clear. But what we know is that as we hear about suffering, even from a human perspective, it's difficult to make sense. Where does God fit into this? Where does faith fit into this? How do we, again, make sense of this in the midst of our suffering and our silent Saturdays? How do we make sense of what it is we're experiencing? And it's important not only for you to evaluate how you see your own suffering but how you see suffering as a whole. And I'm so thankful that the book of Hebrews really walks us through how we see highs, how we see lows, how we're meant to have the proper perspective when it comes to our own personal suffering. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna continue and wrap up our teaching series, The Finding Moments, as we've been looking at Hebrews 11. So I wanna invite you to go ahead, open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11. This is where we're gonna be. For the rest of our time together today. And as we are here in Hebrews 11, we're going to start in verse 30. And as we start in in verse 30, again, I I want to remind us of the work that God is up to and and how he's working and and how faith isn't about really the person per se in the sense of how much they have, but it's rather about the substance, the one that they're putting their faith in and on. And he takes our, our failures and in faith in God, he supersedes even our failing. And we've seen that throughout this teaching series as we go through these different characters in Hebrews 11. Listen to what it says here. It says this, starting in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And so what it does is it gives us a snapshot, a history of what happens, this, this high moment in the nation of Israel. The walls of Jericho, if you grew up in church or went to VBS or, or no Sunday school, they just come tumbling down, right? You know you know that song, they, they came tumbling down. And it tells us this incredible story. If you look at J- uh, Joshua chapter six, you see this really play out. And as they walk around the walls of Jericho, It looks crazy to people who are watching this because God asked them to do this. And they're like, okay, these people just keep marching around these walls, right? But they did it. And as they did it in faith, the walls came tumbling down. They came down. And not only did the walls come tumbling down, we also hear about in that same story, in that same moment, there's this prostitute named Rahab. And as we look at Rahab, here's what's so beautiful about her story is here's a woman who has a past. And if you have a past, I got good news for you. God is not done with you. God is not done with your story, with your faith journey. Maybe you say, I'm too far gone. No, 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 no. You cannot outrun his grace and his goodness and his truth. You cannot. And Rahab is an example of this. Because Rahab, who lived one way, then came to faith in God. And as she came to faith in God, which was seen in what she did for these spies, then she goes on to have a major role in the story that we're celebrating today as we come to Palm Sunday. And you may be like, what, what do I mean? Well, she shows up in the genealogy of Jesus, Rahab, the prostitute. And it's just beautiful to watch how he uses our past, how he uses our successes, how by faith, God makes something out of us and them as well. Well, then it goes on. It says this. It says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. Barak, Samson, and Japheth, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned in turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And here's what's so incredible when you read all these characters, and I'm not going to have time to to go through each one of them, but what you're simply seeing is God worked worked through imperfect, flawed people. Gideon, when you look at his story, he came from the least of the least. He didn't come from a place of power and prestige. In fact, Gideon was so reluctant. He was like, what, God, you want to use my life? I can't believe this. And he kept kind of just filling God out, right? He has all these back and forths with God. But yet he makes it here. He makes it here in Hebrews 11. So if you're one that says, hey, I don't have the faith of you filling the blank, it doesn't matter because God uses people even with reluctant faith. He uses people with reluctant faith. Barak is a person who was called to, to fight for the nation of Israel, but he was afraid. And so he calls on Judge Deborah and says, Judge Deborah, I can only go if you'll go with me. And so even in his fear and even in his insecurity, he's still here in this story. There, there's Samson, and many of you know his story. But his story is full, full of really being misguided and misled and using the power and the might and the strength that God gave him for his own personal gain. And yet, at the end of his life, God uses him in a powerful and mighty way. Way And he makes it here to Hebrews 11. And he had so many mistakes that he made. Then there's Japheth. And Japheth, he wasn't even wanted by his own tribe because his mother was a prostitute. And he was sent away. But then when they needed him because he was a mighty warrior, they called upon him. And then he eventually became a judge. And this speaks to, again, what it says here in the highlighted section, section, whose weakness was turned to strength and it talks about all the things that they did through faith they conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lion lions quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword and they became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies this is awesome so there's these these highs and these lows in the stories that we see through hebrews 11 but there's something that we have in common with them because even in our own story and even in our own journey, we have weakness, don't we? And we're probably well aware of our weakness. We're well aware of our weakness. And in some ways, for us personally, it's a form of suffering, personal suffering. Because we see as our weakness as a reason why we're kind of sidelined and why our lives can't move towards what God has for us. But yet, when we read this, it says, no, whose weakness was turned to strength. We, we read about the Apostle Paul. Your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. We hear these things again and again, but we read them as if they don't apply to us. And they do apply to you. And they do apply to me. And so here's a question for you as we read this. How has God turned your weakness into a strength? How has he done that? How has he done that in your own life, in your own story? Well, on Friday, we had a chance to have my son, Ray, evaluated for kindergarten. He just turned five today, by the way. Today's his birthday. Woo, 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 woo. We're doing a little pajama party later on with the family. That was his request. Woo. Love his imagination and creativity, man. Love that boy. But one of the things that as we go to this evaluation for him to go into to kindergarten, and, and I've shared with you how he is learning differences and delays, and I'm not sure how this is going to go. I'm not sure what they're going to say, you know, and, and Ray's kind of just filling out the lady who's going to do the evaluation. He's like, I'm not sure, and then as soon as she says, hey, we're going to go have fun, and we're going to go look at animals, she says, he, he pops up, oh, okay, all right, I like animals, let's go, and so mom and I are just waiting in the the office there. We thought we were going to be coming with, but that's not how they roll. I was like, okay, all right, we'll see how this goes, And and then he goes and gets evaluated, and she comes back, and she says, I just want to let you know, uh, your son, your son is, is really bright. Your son, your son has a, a great imagination, and his memory is outstanding. As soon as he, I see, show pictures and, and I show him how to do something, he can recall it back to me like this. There are areas he has to grow in, some of the speech stuff, some of the other pieces of his own learning journey. But then as we're sitting there talking, another person at the office comes over and starts talking to us. And she says, hey, I, I hear you're a pastor. Where do you pastor at? And I explained to her where I pastor at. And then I tell her why we are in that school district. Because we were once in South Whitehall, now we're in Northern Lehigh School District. I said, hey, yeah, my, my mother-in-law is a widow and her house is just up the road here. And so we chose to, to move in with her, renovate it, take care of her, all these things. She, and, and then she uh, was talking to us, and Amy says, you know, my dad drove school bus here. He drove school bus for this school. And she's like, who's your dad? Ray Peters. And she goes, I love Ray Peters. I'm so sorry that he's no longer here. She says, it makes sense to me why you married a pastor. Because your, 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 your dad was such a kind man. He was such a humble man. And it was from this conversation, and I want you to see this. This is a place of of weakness, and God yet is using it as a strength. This is a point of weakness for my son in the sense of the, the delays and the differences. For me as well, I have very similar delays and differences. But it allows me to get up here without a manuscript and just talk. Because of the way I'm wired. I used to do manuscripts, but I used to get lost in them. Because I would start talking and, and I'm like, oh man, where oh geez, where am I at here? Oh Jesus, man. And then one day I was like, dude, this isn't work for me. This is not who I am. I need to be who I am. And you know what? I want you to think about that for yourself because you have these weaknesses. And instead of running from them, instead of seeing them as a liability, what if you turn to God in worship with your weakness? And how would he turn it into a strength? How has he done that for you? Because you know what, in my own story, he's met me and he's used me in specific ways and now more tangibly in the life of my son, Ray. I know how to exactly walk with Ray because I myself have walked that same journey. I know exactly why he gets frustrated. I know exactly what's going through his mind when he doesn't understand in these processes. I, I can relate. But I want you to see how God's using my weakness And turning it into a strength. And he wants to do the same for you by faith. He does that. Well, it continues on here. Continues on here in Hebrews 11. It says, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves, and in holes in the ground. And as you read this, I don't think any of us would say, hey, you know what, so register for me for something like that. I want to be sawed in two, all right? That, that would be great. You know, I want to experience that. I want to be stoned. I want to, I want to be jeered out. I want to be mocked. I want to be ridiculed. I want to be flogged. These are painful ways in which people suffered. They suffered. And yet it speaks of them not as people who lacked faith but had great faith. It says the world was not worthy of them. And don't get me wrong. There are times in our lives where we experience suffering because of bad decisions that we've made. There's consequences those decisions, but even in that, by faith, God can redeem it. He can do that. He does that again and again and again and again. If you don't believe me, look up these stories, read them in the Old Testament, read the story of David. Read it. Read how he blew it. He blew it, but God wasn't done with him. And then read how he responds to God in Psalm 51. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But I want you to hear this because in the midst of what's happening all throughout these different stories, we can be tempted to gloss over this. And I don't want us to gloss over this because defining moments don't just happen when we step into something that's incredible. Defining moments also happen when we lean into Jesus as we are suffering and we're experiencing the pain of life. Because suffering isn't isn't something that just happens to some of us. Actually, suffering happens to all of us in one way or another. And suffering is a condition of living in a broken world. We live in a broken world. And because we live in a broken world, suffering and pain will come to us inevitably. But I want you to hear how they responded in the midst of it. Because they stayed pat in their faith in God. That doesn't mean that it wasn't hard. That doesn't mean it wasn't difficult. That doesn't mean that they didn't have tears. That, didn't mean, that doesn't mean that they didn't have these silent Saturdays like the disciples wondering, what are you doing, God? What are you up to? But they believed in the better resurrection, as it says here. They believed a better resurrection was coming to them. There was a day coming when he was gonna make all things new. There was a day coming when they were gonna have a new body, a perfect body. There is a day coming when there will be no more death, no more tears, and there's a king a king who will make all things new. They had that type of faith. A better resurrection. And Easter tells us, as we're going to celebrate next week, of this better resurrection that we experience in our lives as well. So as we consider this, as we look at this, this passage, as we look at these three verses here, I want us to really take into account in our own lives, in our own journey, what does suffering look like to us? What is it that we've experienced? What is it that we've gone through? And as we continue on, I want to give you this statement. Suffering isn't a sign of a lack of faith. Suffering isn't a sign of a lack of faith. You need to hear this. Because you know what would happen? It would be just like the disciples did when they saw a blind man with Jesus. They said, whose faith caused this guy, or excuse me, whose sin caused this man to be blind was it his own or was his parents and jesus says neither it was so that the the glory of god may be on full display so that the glory of god may be on full display and he ends up healing this man and i want you to think about that in your own journey because if you look at your own suffering and you say wow if i just had more faith i wouldn't be suffering i think we have an incomplete view of of who Jesus is and what it is he himself experienced for us. And again, this is not to minimize our suffering, but rather to put it in the right context when it comes to faith. So suffering isn't a sign of a lack of faith. Here's the next part of this. Suffering can be faced by faith when we see our Savior standing right next to us. I want you to hear this because as you are going through your pain and you're suffering, and you're wondering what God's doing and what he's up to, the temptation is to run the other way. To run away from him instead of running to him. But we want to run to him. We want to run to him, and we want to see him for who he is. For you, what would that look like? Maybe there's a medical condition you have, and you're like, man, I don't even know what to do with this. And Jesus is saying, I know you don't know what to do with it but I'm right here, and I'm going to sustain, I'm going to strengthen you through it. Maybe you have a wayward, rebellious child, and you don't know how to make sense of it. You don't know what to do with that. He says, hey, I know you don't know what to do with it, but I'm right here, right beside you. I'm going to sustain you and strengthen you. Maybe for some of us, there's this ongoing struggle that we have with alcohol. Maybe it's uh, pornography. Maybe it's something altogether that, that we don't really want others to know about we're afraid of but jesus says i know about it and i'm right here and i'm not going anywhere i'm going to sustain you strengthen you and i'm going to show you who to let in i'm going to show you the way but we have to have eyes to see that in our suffering he's right there and he's not running away from us because he's not he was a man who was acquainted with grief Suffering, so even in your tears, remember who it is that you're looking to and talking to. He's the one, he's the one that shed many, many tears. He's the one that, even in the midst of willingly giving up his life, he would cry these tears that would turn into blood. And he says, My God, my God, my God, there's any other way, there's any other way. I know it's possible, all things are possible with you, but not my will, but your will be done. He's the one who's acquainted with it. He knows what it's like to be mocked, misunderstood, ridiculed. And for some of us, that's what we're going through. We have family and friends that do not like who we are as we follow Jesus. And that's hard. And that's hard. And I'm not talking about you're the, the, the reason they don't like you, meaning you may be just a jerk. And that's a whole nother conversation in a, a teaching series that we can go through. Okay, there's a big difference because a lot of times people say that and they're like, yeah, 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 I'm standing for Jesus. No, you're just being a jerk. Okay, let's, 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 let's give a little context here, right? But, but if you're following Jesus, if you're coming after him, if you're letting him change you by his grace and his truth and people are looking at you like, that does not make sense. And it puts you at odds with others. You can still love them. You can still pray for them. You can still bless them, but it's still hard. And it's still difficult. But I want you to know Jesus himself experienced the same thing. And he walks with you. He stands right next to you. I'm watching that in my own life. There there are people who I love and I care about. And because God has wired me and shaped me in a certain way and has a certain call on my life, not everybody's going to be about that. And that's true for you as well. And that's okay that's okay. It's painful, and it hurts, and it's like, well, what what do I do? But if we get past the sting of rejection, and we see Jesus for who he is and what he went through, it allows us to stay pat on the conviction of what he says of us and what he's called us to. We can only endure those we look to him. Well, it continues on here, and this is the, the end here of Hebrews 11. It says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised and we read that we're like what do you mean they haven't received what they had been promised well it goes on it says since god had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect and what's that better is that better a pain-free life is that better you fill in the blank no no, no. the better is jesus he's the better they were looking forward to what was to come. They were looking forward to the day that Jesus would come, that first advent, as we are singing and celebrating that reality of who he is. But they were looking forward to not only him coming, but his death and resurrection and his ascension and his second coming as well. The fact where all things would be made new. There would be no more pain. There would be no more suffering. There would be no more tears. They were looking forward to that day. And so we're made perfect they're made perfect as we come together around Jesus. And that doesn't mean we'll do everything perfect, but rather we're made holy and righteous because of what Jesus himself has done for us. We put our trust and our faith in him. We allow him to have access to every part of who we are and we join him and journey with him towards what it is that he's calling us towards. And I don't want us to miss this because we have, we have fully fully what they had hoped for and were looking forward to in the sense that Jesus has come. And now we are going to fully receive it one day when he returns, right? And he makes all things new. And it's a beautiful picture for us because it gives us the faith to continue. It gives us the perspective, even in our suffering. And so as we continue through this, I want to give us a couple things. Here's something, if you're taking notes, that I want to just encourage us to hold on to. Suffering isn't the final chapter of our story. Suffering isn't the final chapter of our story. There's a better resurrection. There's something better that's coming. And it informs how we look at our suffering today. But one of the things that we can do is we can look at the beginning or the middle of the story and say, that's the end of it. But nobody likes a story like that, right? I mean, you don't just read the beginning and the middle. You want to see the whole thing. You know, you know I, I recently did this uh, wedding and I married this sweet couple and they were getting married at, at the Roxy Theater. And there, out on the, the sign there, it says, Lord of the Rings. That was their their uh, their whole theme for their wedding. Kind of this movie theme. It was, it was really fun. But just imagine if you only read a couple chapters into the Lord of the Rings. But were are like, ah, I'm bored with this. Ah. And you thought that's how it ended, right? You know, oftentimes we do that with a story of what Jesus is doing in our own lives is we only look at one part of it without looking at the whole. And when we do that, we lose the hope and the assurance of what he says of us and has for us. And what I mean by that in our own story and lives, well, we can get stuck where Jesus was betrayed and crucified. We can stay there. I think some of us get stuck there and we say, oh, that's the end of the story. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. And you know what it's like to be betrayed. It's not good. It's not fun. And we're like, oh, that's the end of the story. Well, no, we know that's not the end of the story. But I think at times we live that, that way. We live like that's the end of the story. The betrayal and the crucifixion. And that's it. But we know there's a silent Saturday. There's a waiting. There's a wondering. But there's a resurrection coming as well. So suffering isn't the final chapter of our story. I want you to know God's up to something, even when you don't know what it is exactly. I was with a friend recently, and I was talking to him, and it was like, I don't know what God has for you, but I know there's a resurrection coming. And I believe you believe that too. We don't know when, and we don't know how, but we know who brings the resurrection. The resurrection not only to new life, but the resurrection of those dreams that have died. The resurrection of a relationship that's no longer... He's bringing up this new life, and spring tells us of that and gives us the assurance of that. So suffering isn't the final chapter of our story. Here's the other part of this. It's a simple question. What are you doing with your suffering? What are you doing with your suffering? What are you doing with it? Because I think sometimes we want to hide it. Sometimes we want to stay in just the betrayal, crucifixion mode. We don't want to walk into the victory that Christ has for us in the midst of our suffering. Again, not minimizing it, but his power wants to be displayed in our weakness. It wants to be shown up and shown off in those places, those spaces that we are so reluctant to show. So what are you doing with your suffering? So as we consider that, I don't want us to waste it. I don't want us to waste our suffering. So here's, here's something for us to think about. First is this, don't waste your suffering. Instead, allow God to grow you. Don't waste your suffering. Instead, allow God to grow you. He wants to leverage our suffering, even when things are not good, because all things are not good. But he's always good, and he can make something good even out of the bat. He can grow us into the likeness of Christ. So don't waste your suffering. Instead, allow God to grow you. Allow him to deepen your character, You know, I think about these last five years in the life of Ray. And even prior to that, there are these pivotal moments of great pain and suffering in my life for Amy and I. And as I look back at it, and I can see it backwards, I wouldn't sign up for it. It wasn't all good in the sense of things that we experienced. But I can see now how he's grown us. I can see now how he's deepened something in us how he's produced this great hope as Romans 5 talks about, this perseverance, this steadfastness in Jesus. And we're not perfect at this, by the way. We didn't do everything great in the midst of our suffering, but I want us to hear this, that we don't want to waste it, but instead allow God to grow you. Here's the second part. Don't waste your suffering. Instead, serve others from your story of suffering. I want you to just hear this because so many of us, we like to project strength and not let people into weakness. But I'm going to tell you, the places that will minister to the people the most is for you to share when you feel safe about your own struggle and your own suffering and your own pain. When I talk to people, yeah, there's a lot of things that God's allowed me to do and I'm thankful for that. But the most relatable part of my story is when I start talking about my own pain and my suffering. And it's true. When you experience something really painful and someone's gone before you, doesn't it bring encouragement to you? Like when Amy's dad died in 2011, there were a lot of people who rallied around us and we're thankful for that. But the people that could give the most encouragement and offer the most empathy are the ones who went through that, who lost a parent. I think about Julie Moyer how she lost a parent, and she was a great counselor and comforter in the midst of that time for us. But as we think about that in our own story, I don't want you to waste it, but instead to share your suffering story with others. It will bring comfort and hope and remind them they're not alone and remind them there's not something messed up with them. Because oftentimes when we're going through it, we're like, man, I'm just so messed up. God must be done with me. He must be upset with me. We start believing all kinds of things. And that's not true. So don't waste your suffering. Instead, serve others from your story of suffering. And as we wrap up this series, I want to give us some major takeaways because this is something I want you to do. I actually want you to share your story with others. I want you to share your story with others. So I want to invite you to write out these questions I'm going to give to you because here's what is incredible to do is when we start writing out our own story then we like those mentioned in hebrews 11 start to see our own faith journey and how god has shown up and shown off and then it gives us a point of connection with others recently i had an opportunity to write the story about my mom and i was celebrating her for Women's history month and and as i was celebrating who she was i think about all the things that she's gone through And all the things that she did for us to advocate for us, to walk with us, to pray for us, to support us. The single mother raising three hyperactive boys. And I wasn't sure how she was going to receive it, you know, because some people like their privacy. You know, my wife's like that a little bit. You know, like, hey, don't be sharing my business all over the place, you know. Maybe you like that a little bit. And so I I wrote the story and I shared it and I then went on to share it with my mom and my mom was just full of of tears and gratitude for the honor and respect I paid her. And I said, Mom, this is your Hebrews 11 story. Your faith impacted my faith. And your faith has not only impacted my faith, but the faith of my brothers and now your grandchildren. And we're starting to see this ripple out. So as we think about this, I want you to know, if you're going to have a point of connection with others, it's important for you to be able to know your story and articulate it. And it's also important for you so that you can be reminded of how good God has been even in those pain painful moments and even in those moments in time where things are going the way you had hoped they would go. So here are the questions, all right? Simple questions. What is your faith story and who is Jesus to you? What is your faith story and who is Jesus to you? What is your faith story and who is Jesus to you? Here's the second question. How has God met you in your successes? Because a lot of times what we can do is we can separate God from our successes too. We're like, oh, look, look how good I am. Mm, I got it going on. This gives us a chance to say, wait a minute, how did God show up in my successes? How did he meet me in that? Third question. How has God met you in your suffering? How has he met you in your suffering? How has he shown up in those places too? And then the fourth question is this, what area of your character and relationships is he seeking to grow? These are questions that I want each and every one of us to answer and wrestle with. I want you to write it out though, not just to kind of memorize it. I want you to write it out. Maybe you'll use on your iPhone the notes piece, right? Maybe that's what you're going to want to do. Maybe you're going to use a notebook or a journal to answer these questions. These are important questions because not only are they good for us, but it allows us then when we enter the spaces with others to be able to be ready to share our story, to share how God has met us and ministered to us as well. And so as you consider that, as you think about that, maybe for you, you want to just jot this down, these four questions. You can take a picture. I've seen some of you doing that as well. Feel free to do that. But it's important that we know that because of what Jesus has done for us, we have a story to tell. We have a story to tell. We have something to share. It's a story that he's worked in us and he's working through us and then we get to bless those around us with it. And so as we think about that, what I want to do is I want to give us a couple of ways to respond in part to what is we've, we've heard. But then the other part of what I want to do is I want to give us a chance to respond to what Jesus fully has done. So this is your Exercise this week. I want you to do this. But then the other part is I want us to recognize again and again who He is and what He's done for us. So before we jump into our response, I want to just give us a time of prayer. And then as I give us a time of prayer here and we we reflect on what God's done, let's just thank Him. Let's just thank Him for His goodness and His mercy in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, right now we just want to thank You that You're at work. Our highs and our lows. And our weaknesses you've turned to strength. And our suffering, you've met us, God. You've been so good. You have met us again and again, afresh and anew. And Lord, I just I know there are people right now who are suffering. There's pain in this place, God. And I thank you that you're not one who's ashamed of us in our painful moments, but you're one who draws near. I thank you, Jesus that you're the man who's well acquainted with grief, a man of sorrow, it says of you in Isaiah 53. And so Lord, we look to you and we behold you for who you are and we want to be held by you. So Lord, when everything's going really, really well and when everything's falling apart, we know that you're the steadfast one. You're the substance that we build our lives upon. And God, I just thank you that even when we don't know what to make sense of what we're going through in those silent Saturday moments when we're asking, where are you and what are you doing? We can have the confident assurance that there is a resurrection coming. And Lord, I just pray for the despair that I know this season has brought. Lord, I pray that we would hold on to the resurrection hope. I pray that we would hold on. That we would believe that you're not done in this place, in this moment, with us, with the people around us. You're not done. You're working. And So Lord, I I just give you every part of of this time and every part of what we talked about. Lord, I just pray for people here who are just trying to even figure out who this Jesus is to them. I pray that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in you lord we love you and we're so grateful for your goodness your kindness your mercy your truth and your grace towards us in your name we pray amen all right so i want to give you a couple of ways to respond first way that we're going to respond is we're going to text in if you've made any decisions we want to know if any ways we can be praying with you walking with you helping you towards what it is that god has for you if you made a decision to follow jesus we'd like to know that a couple other ways to respond is through giving And so I want to invite you to text it in. You can use the app. You can mail it in. You can go online. You can use the offering basket on your way out today. I want you to know it's because of your generosity uh, that we're able and we are prepared for an incredible Holy Week. God is on the move in our ministry. We are so excited about what's going to be happening for Good Friday. Got an online experience available. Then on Silent Saturday, we're doing some chalk art doing these scenes of the Easter story. And as we go through these different scenes to proclaim the hope that's found in Christ, uh, it's going to give us a chance to be together as a community with our families. And we're praying even for opportunities to get in conversations with those who are passing by. And then Sunday, weather permitting, we're going to be out in the parking lot and we're going to get ready to go. We're going to have a great time. We hope that you'll be able to join us for Easter Sunday and bring somebody with you as we celebrate the resurrected one. And we'll have like fire pits set up. We'll have some uh, photography, family photography done by Emily Chambers, photography. Uh, We'll also uh, have some kids activities going on as well. It's going to be a great time. Now, if the weather doesn't work with us, we have an indoor plan as well. So I want you to know that. So we're good to go either way. But it was our way of saying, hey, let's get everybody together outdoors as we welcome in the resurrected one and celebrate who he is and a picture of spring and the weather changing as well. So we, again, want to invite you to join us for those things, but it's because of your generosity uh, that we're able to do things like that. And we just want to thank you. So we want to invite you to continue uh, to give. And if you have a need, we would love to know that as well. So make sure you let us know that. We have uh, funds set aside and set up to resource and to walk with those who are going through difficult times. And then the last thing I want to mention is communion. And so when you came in today, you received a communion container. It looks just like this. Uh, this is our, our new reality in the world that we live in. Uh, and I even have to learn how to say communion containers because I'm not used to doing that. That's a new thing for us here at Riverbend. But it's important. Uh, and if you don't have one, Pastor Travis is right here. He's more than happy to, to get you one. Uh, but really what we want to do is we want to remember uh, this suffering servant, Jesus who paid this great price for us. And so communion is a chance for us to be reminded of how his body was broken for us and how his blood was shed for each and every one of us, how he's made a way. He's made a way. And and the book of Hebrews leading up to this point, even as we're going to make a transition next week to Hebrews 12 and 13 and in the new series, Run Your Race, it really is fixed on who this Jesus is and what he's done. Celebrating again and afresh and anew, what he's accomplished for us. And so what I want to invite you to do, as we think back to those questions I gave you towards the end, to think about who Jesus is to you. What has he done for you? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to put your faith in Christ. And if you're not there yet, we're we're scripturally just commanded not to partake of communion unless we are followers of Jesus. And that's not to um, alienate us or anything like that, but rather to speak to the severity of it because we're to remember the sacrifice Christ made for us. And by remembering, we're saying, I have put my faith and my trust in you. Now, if you haven't, I want to invite you to just consider who Jesus is. But if you have, communion is also a chance to take inventory of our lives. Where are we with God in the sense of, is there anything that we need to just talk about with him and tell him about? Like, hey, is there anything that we're hiding, anything we're ashamed of? He sees all, he knows all, but it's our chance to come clean before him. And to ask him to create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me, God. Forgiveness is available, it's it's freely given through Jesus. And so we want to practice that. And communion gives us a chance to take inventory. Is there somebody that we need to forgive? Or is there somebody that we need to ask for forgiveness from? We know as we read through Hebrews 13 that bitterness is one of the quickest ways to choke out the life that God has called us to, one of the quickest ways. Because bitterness is not compatible when we truly understand what Jesus himself gave for us, the sacrifice he offered. And so as you are honest about what you're feeling and going through, that's totally good. But be, be prepared to say, Jesus, I am willing to forgive this person and I want to pray a blessing over them. And if you have to do that again and again and again and again, that's okay. That's okay because that's how his grace and his faith meet us in our journey. But I want you to be thinking about that. Take inventory, take stock, and then just think about what it is he's done for you and done for all people as we enter into Holy Week, as we consider his great love for us. So as you're ready, no rush on this. There's a wafer on the top here. This can be a little tricky, but you just take the wafer off and then underneath there's the juice. And just remember his body broken for you and his blood shed for you. Let me pray for us before the band leads us in some songs. Father, right now, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your mercies that's made new and and given to us every day. Lord, right now, we just want to celebrate and give you all praise, honor, and glory for what you've offered us and given us freely in Jesus. And we just receive. We receive freely. We're reminded of this covenantal love that is ours through Christ. And we just, we bask in it. And then it frees us, even in our suffering, to draw near to you. Even in our successes, even when things are going well, to draw near. So we we want to do that in this moment, Lord. If there's anything that we need to ask for forgiveness uh, from, I pray we would do so. If there's anybody that we need to forgive, I pray we would do so. If there's anybody we need to go to and ask for them to forgive us, I pray we would do so. I pray we would keep short accounts, Jesus as you have freely given this to us, freely. This is your grace. This is your truth. This is your body broken for us, and this is your blood shed for us. We do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.